the title of tonight's Arise Gathering is Would You Rather? Would You Rather? Um, have you guys ever played Would You Rather? Yeah. yeah. So, Would You Rather? I actually asked, my son does this game a lot. This is one of his favorite things. And he says, um, Mom, this morning he said, Mom, would you rather have no elbows or no knees? <laughs> so, like, how, how do you, I'm really not sure how to answer that. Um, or he'll say, you know, Mom, would you rather eat a bucket of worms or a bucket of beetles? And I'm like, neither. I would rather neither. Um, and then, so my littlest chain, and she's five, and she said, Mama, would you rather be a tree or a beautiful unicorn? And I'm like, I guess a beautiful unicorn. She said, I'd rather be a tree. So, you know, <laughs> would, you, would you rather? Well, so the, the title of tonight's Arise Gathering, like I said, is Would You Rather? And we're going to talk about two women who came to this proverbial fork in the road and were presented this two women with the same option um, of two options, and they had two different choices that they made. Um, and so what I'm talking about is Ruth and Orpah. Now, I didn't say Ruth and Oprah. I said Ruth and Orpah. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. We're going to be in Luke, in Ruth chapter 1, um, but a little bit of a backstory about this. As you probably know, you may be familiar with, there was a woman, a Jewish woman um, named Naomi, and she was married, and there came a, a famine hit Judah, and so she had to, to leave Judah to go find food, and so they moved to a land named Moab, which was filled with Moabites. They were not Jewish people, um, and while she was there, she had two sons, two adult sons, who got married um, to Ruth and to Orpah, and, um, but while they were there, her husband died, as did her two sons, and so now you have these three widows who we're really talking about tonight, um, three widows. Um, and so Ruth, he Naomi hears that there is food and that the famine is over and she wants to return to her home. Um, and so that's kind of where we're picking up in this story, just tragedy after tragedy, these three widows all grieving, two of them very young, um, one of them older. And so let's look at verse eight to start. And so on the way, as Naomi's leaving to go back home, she says to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. So these are good daughters-in-law. Uh, may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you. Um, to your people. So this is an amazing, she must have been a wonderful mother-in-law because both of these girls want to go with her. They're crying, they're weeping. Um, verse 11, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? What a weird question. No, my daughters, return to your parents' home for I'm too old to marry again. And even if that were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So she's very broken. Um, and so before we go to verse 14, I want you to understand the context. In this day and age, if you were a woman, your only source of security is in marriage, period. Um, and if your husband dies, hopefully you have sons that can take you up and take care of you because women were not educated. They did not have the freedom like we do just to go and get jobs. And so really their whole life is tied up in who am I going to marry? Um, when is this going to happen? Security of marriage. And so they're in a dire situation, especially Naomi, because she's too old. Now, there's also a Jewish custom that if one of the sons, um, if one of the sons dies 
and there's a widow. Um, God cared so much about taking care of these widows that if you had another son, then they were commanded to marry their brother's widow and bear offspring for them, okay? So God is serious about this, um, but obviously there's no more boys to take care of them. So this is kind of why she mentioned that, if I could have more sons. So, so she says, listen, my situation's worse than yours. You still have hope for your life. Don't come with me. Go and get remarried. You're still young. You're still beautiful. Make a life for yourself. Um, and then this is what we see, this crossroads now where Ruth and Orpah are at this decision road. So do I go with, with Naomi or do I go back and start a new life again? And in 14, it says, again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. So my question for you, um, would you rather kiss or cling? Are you kissing or are you clinging? And so now what I want you to see is that this is a picture. I'm trying to create a picture in your head of Naomi being this, following Naomi being the lesser road, the road that doesn't seem like it has any benefit for you, but perhaps because this is the road that Yahweh is on, she follows it even though it means forsaking any possible hope of a future for herself. She was, see, both girls loved her, but only one clung to her. Now, when I think of clinging, and probably when you think of being clingy, uh, you would think that as a bad connotation. I don't know if you ever, when you were dating, had like a clingy boy boyfriend okay so like um, but when I think of clinging I don't necessarily think it's something that I would want but actually God asks us to cling to him in Deuteronomy 10 chapter 20 it says you must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him he also says not only should we cling to him but we should cling to his word in Luke 8 15 and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest good-hearted people who hear God's word cling to it cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. I know my kids, the younger ones, um, my teenagers have taught them to monkey them. Have you ever seen somebody mm -hmm. monkey? Where basically, like like a monkey, you'd, they would wrap, they'll wrap their legs and their arms, and you could hold your arms out like this, and they'll just stay stuck to you, and you can move around because they've clung to them. And this is a picture of what we are supposed to be doing to the Father. Yeah. That He wants us so tightly wrapped around Him. We're not just holding His hands, but we have clung to Him. We have clung to His Word as our only hope, our are you kissing or are you clinging? You see, your commitment level to the Father, as we're going to learn tonight, your commitment level to the Father reveals your love level for the wow. Father. Wow. It's revealing. You're proving your love by your level of commitment. We know by looking at Ruth and Orpah, which one loved Naomi more? They both had some sort of affection and devotion and promise to her, but one clearly loved her more, and it was based on this commitment level as an indicator. In Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, it says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Can you say that word? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Now, I want you to listen to all these imperative words, all these instructional words. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. Mm. Half, are we all supposed to do that? <laughs> Wholeheartedly to the Lord and to these words of mine. Tie them, so commit, tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, this is an eternal promise otherwise, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to you and your ancestors. 
Verse 22 is critically important. Be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love. Y'all say show love. Show love. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his commands and holding tightly to him. Cling to him. Show him that you love him. Prove it by your actions. Ruth's choice proves she loved loved Naomi more. Now, back in, I guess it was maybe the early 2000s. I didn't read this book, so I don't know if I can recommend it. I doubt it. But um, but I did hear about <laughs> this book that a couple of single guys wrote called He's Not That Into You. Did y'all hear about that? So basically, the premise of this book, He's Not That Into You, is they're kind of breaking it to single girls, like the, the hard truth to single girls, that if a guy makes excuses why he can't call you back, um, doesn't have time to go on a date with you, seems ambivalent, the cold hard truth is he's just not that into you. Because when a guy, guys are competitive, and when they really are into you, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> and they don't take no for an answer, and they'll stop what they're doing right there to make time for you. So yeah. the whole book is basically around this premise of, sweetheart, he's, he's just not that into you. Don't waste your time with this one anymore because he's telling you without telling you, come on, yeah. Yeah. that he's just not that into mm-hmm. you. And so I'm going to ask you something real hard. Are you just not that into Jesus? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like, I know what we're saying with our mouths. I know what we're saying on Facebook. I know what we're saying in our journals. But what does our life say? Are our actions saying that we're just not into that into him? We'll kiss you, but we won't cling to you. We'll talk affectionately and say words, but we won't cling to you. Do you have an area in your life that will cause you to kiss him goodbye? That if he puts his finger on it, bye, Jesus, I'm, I love you, I'll be so sad, I'll even cry, but I can't do I just can't give you that, Jesus. Because wow. this is what the rich young ruler did. You think about that. This man who obviously had a devotion for the Lord, obviously had a deep devotion for God, more than most people would, I would say. But Jesus, as Jesus always did, pointed the one thing, and he said, now go, one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And it said he walked away sad. Now, why would Jesus ask this guy? We never see him ask anyone else to go sell everything and give to the poor. The same reason that as soon as he met the woman at the well, he goes straight to, yeah, you've had five husbands. Mm -hmm. Why? He was immediately addressing her codependency issue, immediately addressing her idol. And so he wants to go after that thing that somehow has a higher rank in your heart than he does. And so is there an area in our life, despite our affection, our emotion, our devotion, that if we're honest, we're into that area more than we're into him. Yeah. And that we're just not that into it. So what I'm asking you is, does your life prove that he is your first love? Mm-hmm. Does your schedule, does your pocketbook, does your time, does your thought life, does your screen time, come on, get messy, okay. prove that Christ is your first love? Where is he ranked in your heart? Because your commitment level is really indicative of your love level. In Matthew 22, verse 36, it says this, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. One place he says, All of the law and prophets hangs on these commands. In other words, he's saying, If you don't get any other thing in the entire, hear that Bible, if you don't get any other thing in all of this, Get this, you got to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Everything in this hangs on that one thing. Is he first? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Is he your first love? Because you can do every other commandment in here, but if that is not in the first place, something is wrong. It's not true devotion. He wants it all. He wants all of your heart, all, not some of your heart. All of, we're just saying you can have my heart. You can have my heart. But yeah, how much can he have? Because yeah. he wants it all. He wow. wants all of our heart. Now, why? Is he just jealous? No, he's just that into you. Oh, he's just good. that into you. And, and don't pretend like you wouldn't demand the same thing from your husband or your boyfriend. <laughs> that you want all of his heart. You are not going to be content for your husband to tell you he loves you and to be doting and affectionate and to have him 95% of the time and the mistress gets him 5% of the time. You want all of his heart and all of his love is only for you and for no one else. And this is what covenant love is, is that you are first in rank and file and importance. And I love it. He's just that into you. He just wants to be that committed to you. And he wants you to reciprocate that. Listen to how into you is. I read this verse. This actually inspired this whole message. But I read this. And this just is beautiful. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. It says, look, the highest heavens and earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. So he's setting the the stage here for how big he is and how much he owns. And yet... The Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. Yet he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. In other words, he could have chosen the angels, who I guarantee you are a lot more beautiful and perfect than we are the dirt creatures of Adam, right? Yet out of all of creation, he chose us to set his affections on as objects of his love. That we are the objects of his love. He has chosen us as objects. He is that into you. He is just that into you. Now, I want to remind you for a moment why God created us. Why did he make us? If he had angels, he had a cherubim, the seraphim. Why does he make us if he had all of it? It's not to worship him because he already had angels to worship him. The simple answer, God wants family. He wanted someone in his own image, like many of you have the desire in your heart to bear children that look like you, that resemble you, that come from you. Where did you get that desire? It's a godly desire that he put in you from his heart. He is letting us experience what he wants. I want, let us create man in our own image. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day in the garden. Eden was supposed to be a house. It was supposed to be a place, a family, a family backyard where he would walk with us in the cool of the day. Now, I'm sitting in front of this window where I call my mountains, right? Like, I love these mountains. I'm obsessed with West Virginia's mountains. If you know me, you know this about me. The first time I laid eyes on these mountains when I was, I guess, 18, 19 years old, I fell head over heels in love. I was like, I have to move there. And so the fact that the Lord gave me this house on these mountains, if you are from this area, you've lived in the Beckley area, it's a city area. You, there's not very many houses that have this view and certainly not ones that I would be able to afford. This was a God thing. But what a, trav, a travesty for me to own this house and live in it and see this all by myself. Mm-hmm. I want you to imagine how unfulfilling this would be for me if I couldn't share it with you and my family. Now, I want you to picture that you got given the most lavish vacation you could ever imagine. You'd see the the greatest sights around the globe, a whole year of touring around the globe, but you had no one you could tell tell about it to. You had no one you could share it with and no one that would go with you. Okay, what put that longing in your heart to partner and fellowship and to share life with someone? God did. It's not good for man to be alone. God wants us. He set his affections on us. 
And so I'm going to ask you, I've asked you, would you rather kiss or cling? But I'm going to ask you a series of some other questions. Um, but let's ask a question about God. So if he loves us so much, if he's just that into us so much, and if that was the reason he created the Garden of Eden, then why did he even put the tree in the garden to begin with? Seems kind of a cruel thing to do. Why not just make it paradise where they didn't have the choice to eat this tree? What gives you the choice? That second, that question I'm going to ask you, I'd say, would you rather, but what gives you the choice to even choose what you would rather? If you'd rather God over all these other things, what gives you that choice? And it's love. I want you to imagine for a, me, a, a, a minute that I invented a husband catching machine. It was a trap. You've seen bear traps. This was even fancier, right? You had the smell of bacon. I mean, we have all these things that men like, you know, a television, a big screen, a lazy boy. It's all in this sports, whatever their thing is. A husband trapping machine. And I gave it to my single sister. Let's say Elise is behind the camera. She's going to kill me for this. But I said, Elise, look, you set your eyes on whoever you want. And I'm going to give you this husband trapping machine. And you just go get him. And it works. Every 100% fail proof. She traps whatever man she wants. And she brings him home. And he it's hers for life. But there'd be a few months into that marriage if he didn't have a choice that she would start to really resent that marriage. Yeah. And so would he. Yeah. Well. Even if she could cast a magical spell on him to make him love her, she would know in the back of his mind, that she, oh. in her mind, that she wasn't his choice, mm. that she forced this on him. And this is the same. Love gives us a choice to choose. Love put that tree in the garden. Love said, I'm going to give them a choice. I'm not going to force them to stay here. But let me ask you uh, an, another question. Why did he have to make the tree so tempting? I understand giving a choice, but why such an alluring tree? It said that she looked at the fruit and you saw it, and she said it was good to eat. It looked pleasant to eat, and it looked pleasant to make her wise. Why would you make it so tempting if you really love us? Is this some kind of experiment God's doing on us to see if he can trap us or test us? Now let me present another scenario to you. I want you to imagine for a moment that Brandon chose me out of a room of women to marry him, and I was the only one that was under the age of 70. The only choices he had <laughs> between me and others, they were 70, 80, 90 years old. Everything was low and slow, right? Like, I mean, oh all he had as options other than me at the time I was 19 and got married, it was this 19-year-old or all these old hacks. <laughs> like, let me ask you, is that really a good option? Is that the loving option? Now, what makes me understand after 19 years of marriage how much this man loves me? It's that he chose me when he had other options, good yeah. options. Yeah. And he continually chooses me when he could have other options, wow, but he doesn't. That's how I know this love is proven. And this is what God is offering us. He loves us so much that he's not going to trap us in a cage with no other good Bible options. Okay. That he lets us choose, would you rather? And he'll even, he'll even let us have other pleasing options that we could please our flesh. We could please our own desires. Would you rather me or them? But we get to rank him in our hearts. What do we choose? Now I want to look at John the Baptist for just a second. John chapter three, verse 26, it says this. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, they're talking about Jesus 
the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. <laughs> so they've been baptizing all these people. John's ministry is hopping, right? And all of a sudden people are leaving. And in 27, John replied, no one can receive anything from God unless it comes from heaven. You yourselves know, I plainly told you, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. Verse 29, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear the vows. How beautiful. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Now I'm presenting this to you for a reason, because if following Jesus means I lose my influence, do I still choose him? If he's having revivals, because we know if you fast forward in this scenario, John the Baptist is awaiting his execution in a prison cell about to be beheaded for preaching the gospel. And Jesus's ministry has never been bigger and better. Thousands and thousands being raised from the dead, healed, and he's in a prison cell. And John the Baptist struggles in this moment. He says, are you the Messiah? He starts to question because listen, the path that God had chosen for him, he still had to choose it. Even if when me, when, when he is increasing, it means I am decreasing. Mm -hmm. And so if Jesus is holding revivals while we're on death row, would we still choose him? Wow. Or are we in this relationship simply for the perks and what we can get out of it? Will we serve the Lord if he doesn't choose to use us as instruments in the way that we thought he would? Are we going to serve the Lord if it doesn't make us admired by man, but it actually makes us despised by man? Will we still choose him? Now, I will say that that is part of the reason giving us other viable options that the tree was so tempting. But there's another character in this garden story. And this character has a vested interest and doing something, he has a plan. If God's plan is to get us to cling to him, Satan has a plan as well. That old snake has a plan as well. See, God wants us to cling, but Satan wants to come in between. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a mama, you know how this works when you're sitting on the couch with your, um, your spouse, your husband, and the children will try to stick their, sometimes mom will just stick their finger, their, their hands right in between our faces as we're kissing. Like they want to come right in between. And actually scripture says that what God has joined together, let no man come in between. It literally says come in between. Let no, nobody put any space in between. That's the picture of covenant love. And this is what Satan tries to do. He tries to slither his way in between us and God. If we're monkeying God, he tries to wrap his way around and whisper things in our ears. And he's really good at telling us all the benefits of eating that fruit without reading us the fine print. Mm -hmm. He tells us all the things that are good about it by neglect, but neglecting to read the fine print. He's going to try to pry us away from the, from the Lord. And if he can't lure us away with false promises, do you know what his big tactic is? Is accusations and lies. And this is what this liar and accuser does. And in Revelation, it says that he is the accuser of the brethren. Mm -hmm. And so two things he tries to do to separate us is he'll hurl accusations against you to God. Mm -hmm. It actually says in Revelation that day and night he brings accusation against the brethren. Mm -hmm. That he's, and remember he did this with Job. He said, he said, God, Job, the only reason he's serving you is because he, mm -hmm. because you've been so good to him. Strike him and he'll deny you to you. Wow. So you see what he's doing? Accusing you before God. Thank God that since the cross, Jesus now is standing there in that same courtroom yes. and he is the intercessor making yes. intercession yes. on your behalf. Amen. That he's there in your stead showing know that they're sanctified by the, but listen, that, that old devil does not want you and I to hitch to God. 
And so he's making accusations against you to God. But the other thing he does is he hurls accusations against God to you. Where do you think you get these kind of thoughts that did God really say? God just doesn't want you to have. God doesn't really love you. God loves them more. God's remember you're being punished because you did such, 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 and such. Can I assure you that is not God's voice? That's all right. That is the voice of that snake. That is the voice of that servant hurling accusations against you, just like he did to Eve. That God just doesn't want you to have. He's slithering in there, creating, trying to create space between you and God, trying to hurl an accusation against God's character in your mind so that you will unhitch from God and follow him. You have to understand the devices of the enemy. And listen, he did the same thing to Jesus. Now, Jesus was tempted as we are in all ways. And I want you to think about the temptation of Christ and the things that Satan did to Jesus when he was being tempted. Remember, he says, if you're really the son of God. Now, Jesus just um, just after, just sorry, just prior to this temptation in the wilderness, the direct story behind it is Jesus's baptism. When a voice from heaven says what to Jesus? The father says what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he says, this is the son of God. God had already said it, right? And now Jesus is in the wilderness. And what does Satan say? Curiously, if you're the son of God, Mm -hmm. immediately casting doubt, does God really love you? Are you really God's son? If you're the son of God, then prove it. You notice that the Pharisees and crowds we're constantly demanding that Jesus would sh- prove signs, do a sign, do a miracle to prove his authority. Mm-hmm. Now, can I tell you something? That you don't need earthly validation to prove that you're loved by God. That's good. Right. So Satan does the same thing to us. He hurls accusations against God. And then he says, if God loves you, then why are your finances still like this, even though you've given him everything? If God loves you, then why haven't you had a baby by now? If God loved you, then why did this bad situation? If God loved you, then why aren't you married by now? If God loved you, then why is this bad situation here right now? Tell God to prove it. Just like he told Job. Like he told God about Job. Make Job prove that he loves you. Put him through all this stuff. And he'll tell you the same thing. Make God prove it. If you're really, and listen, if we fall into this trap of thinking our successes somehow prove God's love for us, then we will get in this dangerous trap of people-pleasing and approval addiction Mm -hmm. where we think that if I'm truly loved by God, everybody else will notice it. And that's not the case. John was in the bottom of a prison cell awaiting his execution. And listen, God didn't send angels to rescue him. He gave his head. He died in that desperate situation. It looked like a total defeat. But listen, he was loved. And Jesus knew it was written. He trusted the voice of the Father. And let me tell you, how do we know Jesus loves me? This I know for the Bible tells me so. Do we not understand? That is such a simple line to the song that we sing without even thinking about it. But I can be confident in the love of God because the scriptures tell me it's true. I don't need God to prove he loves me. He already did it on the cross. And if he never does another thing for me, it's already too much. The most demonstrative, exorbitant, lavish show of affection ever was 2,000 years ago on that cross when he proved he loved me. Satan is a punk. I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) He's a punk and he will get in your head. And let me tell you and promise you, he is after getting you to unhitch from God. 
He does not want you to follow God with your whole heart. And he will sneak his little lies in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever heard, God doesn't love me. God is disappointed with me. God is not happy with me. I don't, I, I'm not a child of God. Listen to me. That is not your words. That is the words of Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He wants us to question the love of God. But God has already set your value. And it was set at the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment what you would trade if you have a child, especially one child, what you would give in exchange for that child. I can't think of anything I would give in exchange for my child. And yet God gave bankrupted heaven and gave us his best. That's what he quantified his love for you as. In Romans 5, 8, but God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, while you're in your mess, he loves you. He set his affection on you. You're the object of his love. While you're still a sinner. You know why we love him like this? Because he first loved us in our mess, in our brokenness. That he set his affection on you. He wants you as his baby girl. He wants you as his baby girl. You think about, I was thinking about my kids holding out their arms and the babies hitching. But you know, God doesn't have his arms out like this while we're monkeying him. His arms are right. He's got you. I'm telling you. He's got you even if you've unhitched. He's still got you. He still has you in the palm of his hands. He loves you that much. I'm going to show you how much. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise, you understand my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're aware of all of my ways, even before words on my tongue. You know all about it, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Think about this. This is the creator of the universe who's obsessed with every detail of your life. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is their sum. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grain of sand. And when I'm awake, I'm still with you. And I still feel this, this deep love for you. Because that's what he feels for you. In Isaiah 48, it says this. But Zion said, the Lord has left me alone. The Lord has forgotten me. But can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no pity on the son to whom she gave birth? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. See, I have marked your names on my hands. Now those nail scars were tattoos of your name and his every time he sees his hands. It's a display of his covenant affection for you. And I'm reminded just now, Savannah, when you and I were talking about, I love that he uses, we're just celebrating Mother's Day, that he used a nursing mom. If you've ever nursed a baby, you know it's physically impossible to forget that you have a nursing baby. (laughs) Your body is screaming to nurse that baby. You need to nurse that baby (laughs) as much as that baby needs to nurse you. And do you see the parallel? God wants us. He desires us. He cannot forget you. He cannot stop loving you. He cannot stop thinking it. Do you hear that in Psalm 439? He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He, he hems you in behind and ahead. 
His thoughts outnumber the grain of sand on the seashore. He cannot forget you. He cannot stop loving you. He cannot. It's impossible. He physically aches for us. He wants us. He chooses us. But do we choose him? What's so beautiful about this story, you know that Ruth, there's a verse in, I believe it's Ecclesiastes, and it says that I've searched all over the world and only one man out of a thousand is virtuous, but not one woman. <laughs> now, Solomon said that, and Solomon had a thousand wives. I really feel like that was like a direct slight against the thousand wives that he had. In Proverbs 31, it says, who can find a virtuous woman? Right? Her price is far above. So she's really hard to find. How do you find a virtuous woman? You know, in all of scripture, there's only one woman ever called virtuous, and it's Ruth. And she's brought in Moabite woman. If you know a history about the Moabites, they're start this 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 group of people, this nation was born from an incestuous relationship, shady past. This Moabite woman brought into the family of Christ and the Messiah. She left everything she had, any hope of being remarried, to go serve this mother-in-law. But Jesus brought her a kinsman redeemer. He redeemed her pain. He redeemed her path. The path that seemed like it was the worst path. The path that seemed like it would lead her to no hope. The path that se- the selfless path of love actually is the path that redeemed her whole story. She's the, think about this, thousands and thousands of years later, we're still talking about her. Still discussing this virtuous woman who clung, who clung. Your people should be my people, your God my, are you clinging to him? Because he can redeem anything you let go of, I promise you he'll redeem. But do you choose him? Are you kissing or are you clinging? And with Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen, listen to his voice, and cling to him. Can I tell you that you can trust the Lord? There's no fine print. He's not read you. And I think there's something super beautiful, honestly, about a path that's not lights and glamour and glitz, not pretentious, pretending to be something it's not. You just choose it out of love. And sadly, most of you are like me, and you've chosen the other path. You've eaten the fruit and realized the snake was a liar, and I'm broken now. But it doesn't change love. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Out of all the heavens and the earth, the Lord has chosen you as the object of his love. Do you choose him? Do you close your eyes right now in your homes? And just tell him afresh and anew, I choose you. Make your heart just an altar right now. As he's bringing things to mind that maybe you've put ahead of him a relationship, a guy, your children perhaps, ministry, good things, your dream, your reputation. Just 
just tell him, God, I move all of these things out of your seat. That's your seat. That's your throne in my heart. You can have my heart. There's someone watching this right now and you've never chosen to follow Jesus. And right now with your mouth, just confess Jesus. I follow you. I leave my past behind and I choose you. I choose you. Come in my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. I cling to you. I cling to you. And right now, for those of you who have left your first love and you know that you've left your first love, I just pray there's a great returning. There's a returning to him. God, pull us closer. 